Good morning and happy Easter. I'm so grateful for all the work these guys put in to be able to lead us in worship this morning. It's so good for us to be able to do that. And today's a sweet day, and I hope that your day started with something sweet. Maybe you got a Cadbury egg or a peep. If you like those things, I don't really like those, but if you do, I hope you got one and that it started your day with something sweet because this is a sweet time for us. We're grateful to be together. You know, even though it's unusual for us, we're celebrating the resurrection of the living Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I'm so grateful that we get to do that. He's our Savior, Sustainer, Redeemer, Deliverer, all of those things wrapped into one. And even though we're separated, we are one in the spirit of unity and love this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed for us on the cross. I want to pray this morning as we start our service, and then I'll make a few announcements and and we'll get right into it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time where we can be together, Lord. And we pray that as we open your word this morning and as we've sung the songs, Father, that you have been blessed with our praise. And Father, I pray that you would use what we're going to study this morning from your word, Lord, to affect our lives. Specifically for the lost person, Lord, I pray today that they may see clearly, just as Kirk mentioned, that they may see the sun and the sun would allow them to see clearly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for that this morning. I I just got a few announcements for you. Don't forget that uh, we'll be continuing to to do this kind of live stream and uh, as we have been and we'll have uh, midweek again ready for you this week. Thank you for being faithful to give. I encourage you to do that online or mail those in. God has just been blessing us with that and, and you've been so faithful to do that. And I love the faithfulness of our church. I love that you're faithful to return the tithe and I encourage you to do that. Uh, just be mindful of reaching out to people this week again, calling people. We want to continue to do that uh, as we have this opportunity. You know, I was thinking this week about words and how words matter. Do you believe that words matter? Do you believe that, that words matter? I believe that the vocabulary that we use is important. I believe that it's important how we speak to one another and that the choice of words is really important for us. You know, for example... If you're dating someone, if you're a young man, you're dating someone and and you walk up to that young lady that you just have all these feelings about and you say to her, I love you. And she looks back at you and says, I like you too. It's not much difference. I mean, it's one word really is difference. But that one word makes all the difference, doesn't it? I mean, if that young man has put it out there and says, I love you, and she says, I like you too. It, it leaves you walking back with your pride in your hand, your heart in your hand, because you didn't receive what you'd hoped you would receive. In the same vein, that same young man could look at the same young lady and said, you know, you drive me crazy. And that could mean one or two things, couldn't it? It could mean, man, I'm out of my mind for you. I'm over the moon for you. I, I'm, I'm just absolutely taken with you. Or it could mean you're making me nuts. There's a slight difference there, but words matter, and the way that we use words matter, and as we've been in Holy Week this week, we've been talking about words. We talked uh, about how words matter, and when I read the Word of God, there are several things that guide me to be uh, reading it in a way that I think is important for us every time we open the Word of God. First of all, I believe that the Word of God is true. When I read the Word of God, I believe that every word in it from beginning of it to the end is true. And I believe that what God has put in there has happened just as it is stated to be. I believe that God guides me in truth because His Word is true. I believe there's a second truth that guides me, and that's that God's Word is inerrant. 
that God's word is without mix up or mess up. And my understanding may be clouded because I am weak and I am frail in my understanding, but the word of God is never weak. It's never frail in its understanding of how it presents things to us. It's perfect in all its ways. It's infallible, meaning that as God speaks to us and tells us to do something, that we can trust it to be true as we walk in it. And all week long in these Holy Week lessons, we've centered them on words like redemption and justification, how we were bought with a price and then declared to be righteous before the Lord. Those words have enormous meaning for us because they give us a picture of who God is and how God has related to us. And the word I want to look at today is just as important and maybe even more so because it speaks to the reality of the relationship that we have with God. And the joy that we have as Christ followers. It also defines the reality of a lost person. A person who's not in Christ. This word is so important. So I want you to grab your Bibles. Open them with me to Romans chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 21 this morning. And I want us to get a clear picture and an understanding of why the cross of Jesus Christ is judgment to the lost person. But is joy to everyone who believes in his name. It really is judgment to a person who's outside of Christ. But for those of us who are in Christ, it's joy. Now it'd be easy for us to talk about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and miss one of the crucial elements concerning his death on the cross, and that would be the wrath of God. The wrath of God. And I recognize this morning there are probably more popular subjects that I could tackle. There would be more popular subjects on Easter for us to cover, but I believe there is no more pressing subject for us to cover than the wrath of God, because when we understand the wrath of God, then we can really understand the love of God. If we understand the wrath of God on one hand, then we really get a clear picture of the love of God in its, fullest, in its fullest dimension for us. And if you're not a Christ follower today, let me just start by saying this. I'm not preaching this this morning to beat you up. Far from it. I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to browbeat you or beat you down. What I really want you to do is be fully educated about the love of God that exists for you. And you cannot understand the love of God if you don't understand the wrath of God. It's impossible. So let's read from Romans 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, Received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have a child in our Awana program, or you've been through our His Story uh, training where we teach you to, to tell the story of Jesus and the gospel, you're probably familiar with at least one of these verses. 
And that would probably be Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23 is that verse that just sticks out of this passage to me where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, many people live with the opinion that they're good to go in terms of their relationship with God, but that's because they incorrectly view their status before the Lord. And I've said this before, but it's worth saying again, the only thing that matters in your relationship to God is what God says about that relationship. It doesn't matter what you say about it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. It It matters what God says about it. And God says that all of humanity is lumped under this verse in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, no one without exception can say that. I kind of describe it like this. A lot of us think that what we are is like we're close to the mark, but it's not true. You've heard me say this before. It's like we're trying to throw something over the top of the building. We want to start on one side of the parking lot and we want to throw it over the steeple and make it into the backyard. And we say, you know, I'm going to take my chance and try to throw it. And you might be able to throw it farther than I can, but this is not to see who can throw it farther. It's to see who really hits the mark. And the scripture says everybody misses it. We fall short. Our best efforts land Short. The Bible tells us more in this passage. Look at verse 24. It's really important that we see this. It says they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This means that we have been justified or made righteous through no merit on our own. And here's what this means. Uh, Your church attendance doesn't give you merit or standing before the Lord. Your activity in the social justice movement gives you no standing before the Lord. Your ability to keep the law gives you no standing before the Lord. Your ability to have grown up in a Christian home or, or be part of a Christian family gives you no standing before the Lord because we are justified freely when the Lord Jesus Christ redeems us or buys us back. The Bible is clear when it says it's by grace you are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, lest any man should should boast. Because it's not about our works. It's not about what we bring to the table. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Christ has died so that we could be redeemed. And we're redeemed from the bondages of sin. You know, I don't think many people see sin as bondage. They really don't believe it's that bad. They really don't believe it's that big of a deal. Now, we might see it as something that would keep us in bondage when we look at addiction. We we might look at it and say it's like that. Oh, yeah, I understand that if you're addicted to something, you're in bondage. But the scripture describes our life outside of Christ before we met Christ. Or if you're not in Christ this morning, the scripture says you are in bondage to sin. And we really don't think it's that bad. I mean, we kind of look at it and say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I haven't done anything that would keep me in bondage. I'm free to do whatever I want. I choose to live this lifestyle. I choose to participate in this activity. And the scripture says, absolutely not. You are in bondage to sin, a slave to sin. If you don't believe me, just try to stop. Try to stop. I mean, just the simple things. Stop lying. Stop gossiping. Stop having jealousy in your heart. Stop having bitterness in your heart. Stop having a wandering eye. I mean, just, just try to stop whatever it is that you conceal from your family and your friends, your coworkers, that inner part of your life you wouldn't want anyone to see. Just stop it. If you have the power to stop on your own, stop. But you can't. Because we're in bondage. 
And so Jesus did more than just release us from the bondage of sin. The scripture says that he has turned away God's wrath that was toward us because of sin. Look at verse 25. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. You know, the wrath of God is not a popular topic anymore in mainline denominations in America. We don't want to talk about it. We want to avoid it. It's actually been excluded from the conversation and it's been replaced almost exclusively with conversations about the love of God. And we say God is not angry with us. God is, is not wrathful towards us. God would never exercise his wrath towards us because God loves us. And if we say that, what we're doing is we're excluding enormous amounts of scripture. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are 20 different words used to describe the wrath of God and over 580 instances where the wrath of God is mentioned in the Old Testament. So you cut that out and you've got gaping holes in the scripture. Listen to just one of these from Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 8. I will pour out my wrath on you very soon. I will exhaust my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. I will punish you for all your detestable practices. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. I will punish you for your ways and for your detestable practices within you. Then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes you. God's wrath has been described as his settled opposition against sin. It is immovable. When we transgress the law of God, God's wrath is exercised towards us. Now, we need to understand something here. This is not that God is all over the place flying off the handle. It's not that way at all. God is settled in his wrath when we cross his law. God doesn't have an anger problem. His anger is firm and settled in one direction, specifically at us when we transgress the law, and specifically when we are idolatrous in what we worship. There's a consequence to breaking God's law. And in particular, we see in the Old Testament God's wrath poured out over and over again at those who would worship false idols, false gods. In the New Testament, we see God's wrath poured out throughout the book of Revelation as the seals are broken and the bowls of wrath are actually poured out. We see God's wrath coming in that terrible day of judgment. But we also see John the Baptist explain it as he talked about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John. And he said it in chapter 3 and verse 36, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Listen to me. To reject the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is to have God's settled opposition on you. God's firm and settled opposition on you. Paul also taught about the wrath of God when he spoke to the Roman church in this letter that we've been reading. If we just flip back a couple of chapters to chapter one and verse 18, listen to what he said. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For it is his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse, for they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless. What a word it says, worthless. And their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. God's wrath manifests itself in many ways. Many different ways. And if you keep reading the book of Romans, what you see is that God's wrath is poured out and that the result of sin is actually more sin in your life. That's God's wrath in your life. It just keeps you going deeper and deeper and deeper. But there are two pieces of good news. And if I could give them to you, it would be this. Number one is that God is slow to anger. God is slow to anger. Number two is that he has made a sacrifice through Jesus Christ to turn away his wrath. I want you to look at this first thing that God is slow to anger. The Bible says it over and over again that God is slow to anger. Listen to how God describes himself when he's teaching Moses about himself. He says it in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed in front of him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. There's a psalm that says the Lord is slow to anger. He's gracious, abounding in love. He is good to all who call on him. God is slow to anger. Other places in the Old Testament echo this, that God is patient, that he is patient with us in his dealings with us. He's not a God who recklessly flies off the handle, zapping people so that he can give retribution to them. But it would be a mistake for us to take his patience for granted this morning and just believe we can do whatever we want. It'd be a mistake for us to believe that because God is slow to anger, his anger doesn't exist or that he will not exact his wrath in our lives. Because even though he is slow to anger, his anger is real. But as I mentioned, there are two pieces of good news. The first is that he's slow to anger, meaning that he gives us time to repent. He's patient with us. Not desiring any should perish, but that all should repent and be in relationship with him. But here's the second piece of good news, and that's that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sin. Well, that's a big word, but it's an important word. You remember we started by saying that words matter? We started by saying that that we felt like words mattered, not only in how we speak to one another, but how God speaks to us. And the word propitiation matters so much. Many people today, even in modern Bible translators, have tried to steer away from this word because they don't believe in God's wrath and they don't believe that God's wrath needs to be satisfied or pacified. They don't believe that God turned his wrath away from us and placed it on Jesus when Jesus died on the cross. But let's look back at Romans 3.25 for a second. God presented him an atoning sacrifice, that word there, propitiation, in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint God passed over the sins 
previously committed. The Christian Standard Version of the Bible that I'm reading, the English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, or, or the, 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 the New American Standard Version of the Bible, they all say this. The CSB says atoning sacrifice, and then it gives you a footnote to say, or propitiation. I realize that propitiation isn't a word we're using in regular kind of everyday language, so it's okay to say it's an atoning sacrifice as long as you're not trying to get away from the idea behind this because that word means everything, and for us as believers, there's great joy in it, And for those of you who have not become Christ followers, this is the way forward for you. It's that God has made an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation. It's fundamental for us to understand this. Paul is saying that God presented Jesus as a propitiation, a sacrifice for us so that Jesus would take the wrath of God and God's wrath would be turned away from us and placed on Jesus. We just sang it a minute ago. The wrath of God satisfied, meaning no more for us. It was satisfied at the cross when Jesus died for us. I think this is explained really well by one of the older Puritan writers, Dr. John Owen, who explained it like this with four different points. When you want to understand propitiation, first, there's an offense that needs to be taken away. Second, he says, there's an offended person who needs to be pacified. Third, there is a person guilty of an offense Fourth, there is a sacrifice or an atonement that must be made for that offense so that it can be satisfied. God's wrath toward us is because we have chosen to worship anything and everything instead of the true creator. He's the offended party and we are the guilty ones of the offense. You remember Romans 3.23? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are in that boat. All of us are there. So what happens? Well, we could pay for our sins. We could die in our transgressions and that's what would happen. We could pay for our sins and the wrath of God would rest upon us. Or God in his grace and his love and his mercy could publicly display Jesus on a cross. It's an announcement to the world that God's wrath has been placed on Jesus and that all those who would believe in Jesus and place their faith in him could have the wrath of God satisfied in Jesus and not have it placed on them. It's a beautiful picture for us. Let that sink in for a moment that God presented Jesus to be the propitiation The atoning sacrifice for our sins. The thing that made it all right with God. It's that this cross where Jesus dies and sheds his blood. That he gave his life's blood for us and his life for us so that we would never have to experience the wrath of God. And you might protest and say, well, this doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right for an innocent person to die in my place. It doesn't seem right that God would require that. And you may not even believe that God's wrath could be so serious. I mean, is it really that bad? And I think there's a picture from this verse where it says that Jesus died in his blood. And it kind of brought me back to something that, that I read this week. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? He was agonizing over the events that were coming. Right before they came and arrested him, he had asked a couple of disciples, y'all pray right here. I'm going a little bit further and I'm going to pray. Watch and wait and pray with me. And as he begins to pray, do you remember what happens? As he begins to pray, he's literally in anguish. You can hear it in his voice as he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to go through with this. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was agonizing over what was about to happen. And the scripture says that it became so intense that he began to sweat drops of blood. Why did he agonize so much that he began to sweat drops of blood? 
You know, many martyrs have gone to their death. They've done it courageously. They've done it with boldness. They've even faced it with an expectation that I find almost hard for me to believe, having never lived in in their shoes, that they were ready for it. And yet here we find Jesus. Well, what's the difference? There's a big difference. A martyr dies... But Jesus was about to take the entire wrath of God for all of humanity and he knew it was going to be placed under him and he was going to suffer under the full weight of the wrath of God. For those of us in Christ, we see this picture played out on the cross and it's got to cause our hearts to rejoice. It's got to cause us to stop for just a second and just shout, thank you God. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you, Jesus, for taking my place on the cross. That ought to bring joy springing forth in your life today just to know that the wrath of God has been satisfied, that Christ was the propitiation for our sins, that every bit of the wrath of God was placed on him, that he bore it fully until the work was finished. And he said, it is finished. Praise the Lord for it. God has loved us enough to spare us from his wrath. And that means this morning that you never have to wonder if God has loved you. He's loved you so much that he demonstrated it. He put Christ on display and placed his wrath on him. For us, the resurrection is life and joy and peace because the wrath of God is satisfied today. But for those of you who are not in Christ... I want to ask you to look at the cross this morning. I want you to see it very clearly. I want you to understand it. I want you to understand that the wrath of God has been satisfied. You don't have to live under the wrath of God. You don't have to live with the settled anger of the Lord focused towards you. It doesn't have to be that way because God has made a way through Christ. If you would turn to him today and place your faith in him, repent of your sins and ask Jesus to save you and forgive you, The scripture says that his blood will cleanse you freely. I've said it before. I say it again. Grace is free to us because it costs God so much. Oswald Chambers said that. It's such a beautiful picture of the price exacted for our sins. God was doing this on the cross. I ask you today... As a Christ follower, are you living in the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, are you really living in the joy that this Easter brings as you look to the cross and see that the wrath of God has been satisfied? I hope that you are. I hope that as you look at the cross, it causes you to be excited this morning, for you to be firm in your resolve to follow the Lord and to obey the Lord to never have God with his settled disposition against you again because of sin in your life, but to always plead the blood of Christ over and over again and be cleansed continually. To go before the Lord with boldness, knowing that because God has loved us, he's made a way for us. Maybe for those of you who are not in Christ this morning, I'd ask you to turn to Jesus. Could today be the day that watching in a live stream like this that God might be speaking to you? Could it be that God has been speaking to you about the bondage that you're living under? That you're literally a slave to sin? Don't be fooled by the devil to believe today that you can choose whatever you want to choose. You have no choice. You're a slave to sin. The only way to be free of that 
is for Jesus to buy you back, to redeem you. And he's done it with his blood shed for you on the cross. If you've never given your life to Christ today, I want to encourage you right now. Would you bow your head? We're going to pray. And I want you just to pray with me. Maybe you just repeat these words as I speak them this morning. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I recognize today that I'm in bondage to sin. And I need you to save me. I don't want to ever experience the wrath of God. I want to be cleansed of my sins today. I believe that you died for me, that you were buried in a tomb and rose on the third day and that you're living today. You're the living Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Save me today. You know, I believe today that if you prayed that prayer, salvation has come to your life today and there's no more important thing than for you to know that you're in Christ. It's a gift given to you. Receive the gift today. Be joyful with that gift today. And I encourage you, let us know that you've given your life to Christ. Give us a, a little bit of feedback. You can interact with us on our Facebook page. Send us a message or you can interact with us on our website. We have ability for you to do that. Or you can text our church number. One of our pastors will be happy to talk to you today. We want you to know that you're in Christ for the church today. What a great day for us to celebrate the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. Praise the one who paid my debt, who paid your debt. We praise him today and we lift up the name of Jesus joyfully, fully this morning. We, we lift him up knowing that he has given us everything and that God has demonstrated his love for us and that we are secure in the Son of God. Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you this morning. We thank you for your life's blood shed for us. We thank you that you've called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. And Father, I pray today that even though we are a scattered church, we would be a joyful church. Lord, we thank you that it pleased you to pour out your wrath on Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've demonstrated your love to us in that. We bask in your love and we love you because you have loved us first, Lord. Father, I pray today that our joy would be made complete. In Jesus, our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you today on this wonderful Easter. I hope that we'll be together soon. I miss you so much. And I'm so ready for us to celebrate together. And I know that's going to be a joyful occasion. Until that happens, you keep living for the Lord Jesus Christ this week. You keep celebrating his love. And let's make sure that we engage the world with the gospel this week. Every place that we go, every conversation that we have, every interaction that we have, so that Jesus will be lifted high. For he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.